Sometimes going to the grocery store can be chaotic. There doesn't seem to be enough time to check the list, make sure everything is there, search for the best prices, and take the time to make sure you get the best quality meat. So let ButcherBox help you out. Giving you peace of mind, ButcherBox delivers high-quality meat and seafood that you can trust straight to your door. No grocery carts required. Humanely raised, no antibiotics or hormones, 100% grass-fed, free-range, and crate-free, what more can you ask for? What about free shipping, customized box plans, exclusive member deals, recipe inspirations, tips, and tricks? You really can't go wrong with ButcherBox. Sign up at butcherbox.com slash morning cup and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. Choose salmon, chicken breasts, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash morning cup and use code morning cup to choose your free for a year offer plus get $20 off your first order. There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a weird homicide. The scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird... Morning. Cop of murder. There are many of us, myself included, who want nothing more than to hear the contrived motive of a dangerous person. The reason a seemingly normal person picks up a weapon and takes a life. On March 13, 1996, a man walked into a school and took the lives of over a dozen young children. A man who, by his own hands, made sure that no one ever knew his real motive for murder. So if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. At around 8.15 a.m. on March 13, 1996, 43-year-old Thomas Hamilton was seen scraping ice off his vehicle in the front of his home in Stirling, Scotland. When he was finished, he got into that van and drove five miles down the road into North Dunblane, where the Dunblane Primary School sat filled with the bodies of young students eager for a day of learning. It was about 9.30 by this point, and Thomas parked his car near a telegraph pole, cut the cables, and began making his way towards the building walking with a deadly sense of purpose. Entering through a door on the northwest side of the school, Thomas walked into the school's gymnasium armed with two 9mm Browning HP pistols and two Smith & Wesson M19-357 Magnum revolvers. At the time of his arrival, there were 27 Primary 1 students getting ready for PE class and the three adults who were ready to teach them. Realizing there was a stranger inside the school, P.E. teacher Eileen Harold confronted Thomas Hamilton and was met with rapid gunfire. Eileen, with injuries to both her arms and chest, stumbled into the store cupboard at the side of the gym, accompanied by several other injured children as the students took off in different directions in an attempt to avoid the piercing of a bullet. Gwen Mayer, the kid's teacher, was shot and killed instantly, while Mary Blake, the supervisory assistant, was shot in both the head and legs before making her way into the cupboard and joining the others. Together, the two women tried to shelter as many children as they could in the small room. In the first seconds of gunfire, Thomas managed to shoot off 29 shots with just one of his pistols. He then moved up the east side of the gym, firing off six more shots as he walked, 
sent off eight more towards the opposite end of the gym, and then went to the center where he fired 16 more shots at a group of children who had been incapacitated by his first handful of rounds. As the shooting raged on, a primary seven student who had been walking alongside the gym heard a series of loud bangs and the deafening sound of children screaming for their lives. Thomas then shot in the direction of the student, who was injured by the glass flying from the window before making his escape. Thomas fired 24 more shots, aiming towards the windows as people passed by, fired through the open fire exit door, and then made his way out of the gym so he could aim at the cloakroom of the library, where staff member Grace Tweedle was standing. She was injured but managed to survive. From the mobile classroom that was closest to the fire exit, Catherine Gordon saw the armed stranger and instructed her primary seven class to get down on the ground just as Thomas, seeing this, fired nine shots into her classroom. Because of her quick thinking, he only managed to hit some books, equipment, and a chair that, only seconds before, had been occupied by a student. Thomas then re-entered the gym where he started all of this, dropped the pistol he had been using, took out one of the revolvers, and placed it into his open mouth. As his body hit the ground, it was joined by the 32 people he shot and injured over the course of just three to four minutes. The first call to police came 11 minutes after he arrived at the school, when the headmaster, Ronald Taylor, was alerted that a possible gunman had entered the school. Ronald had, up until the moment he was alerted, thought that the loud booming was the sound of builders working on site. It wasn't until his assistant headmistress came to him after hearing the sounds of children screaming coming from the gymnasium. Just as Thomas pulled the trigger for the last time, Ronald Taylor arrived at the gym and saw the aftermath of his rampage. The ambulance, after receiving a call at 9.43 a.m., arrived at the Dunblane Primary School at 9.57 a.m., and a second medical team, including doctors and a nurse, arrived at 10.04 a.m. As they rushed to try and save the injured children, the death total continued to update and change. In total, 16 students and one teacher lost their lives, with an additional 15 withstanding very serious injuries. Those dead were Victoria Clydesdale, Emma Crozier, Melissa Curry, Charlotte Dunn, Kevin Hassel, Rose Irvine, David Kerr, Mihari Macbeth, Abigail McLennan, Emily Morton, Sophie Jane North, John Petrie, Joanna Ross, Hannah Scott, Megan Turner, all just five years old, Brett McKinnon, who was just six, and teacher Gwen Mayer, who was 45. Of course, the final victim was Thomas Hamilton himself. The Dunblane Primary School shooting to this day remains the deadliest mass shooting in British history. As the gunman's name became public knowledge, people everywhere searched his history to try and understand what made a grown adult walk into a school and shoot indiscriminately at a room full of very young children. Thomas Watt Hamilton was born on May 10, 1952 in Glasgow and, as an adult, was the head of several local youth groups, which seemed to be the stem of a lot of his problems. According to his record, Thomas was the subject of several complaints to police regarding some inappropriate behavior towards the boys in his clubs, with some of the complaints mentioning photographs being taken of these semi-naked children without parental consent. Other complaints included stories of Thomas forcing the scouts that he led to sleep in a very close proximity to him inside of his van whilst on a hiking trip, 
And the suspicious behavior eventually led to him being blacklisted by the Scouts Association entirely. According to letters written by Thomas before his death, the local rumors regarding his behavior led to the complete failure of his business in 1993. And in the final months of his life, he complained that his attempts to organize a boys' club, though successful at first, were subjected to persecution by the local police and the Scout Association. He sent letters of complaint to people like Queen Elizabeth and his local MP, in which he asserted his innocence, claimed that all of the rumors were unfounded, and asked to return to the organizations from which he was rejected. But, with the exception of these allegations, no real motive for Thomas's shooting could ever be established. No reason for the Dunblane Primary School to even be his target, and no reason those young children, who had nothing to do with Thomas or the rumors against him, were the target of his anger. Some reports claim that he was turned down as a volunteer at the school, while others make the connection between a former member of one of his clubs, tennis star Andy Murray, who also attended Dunblane. These connections, though, seem flimsy and were widely discounted. The Dunblane Primary School shooting, as is common after such a tragedy, sparked a lot of public debate about gun control laws and a number of petitions circulated asking for the ban on private ownership and an official inquiry into the shooting. As a result, the 1996 Cullen Report was produced, and in it, officials recommended that the government introduce tighter controls on private handgun ownership or consider an outright ban. It also recommended changes in school security and how people who worked with children under the age of 18 were vetted. The Home Affairs Select Committee agreed that more regulation needed to be put in place, but did not deem an outright ban of handguns to be appropriate. In addition to the report, the Gun Control Network Group was founded and supported by many of the parents of the victims in both the Dunblane and Hungerford shootings. Together, the bereaved families and friends initiated a campaign to ban private gun ownership and named it the Snowdrop Petition. Taking all of this into consideration, the conservative government of Prime Minister John Major introduced the Firearms Act of 1997, in which all cartridge ammunition, like what Thomas Hamilton used, would be banned for all handguns except a 22 caliber single-shot weapon. The following year, and after the 1997 general election, Prime Minister Tony Blair introduced an amendment to the act and banned the remaining 22 cartridges as well. This means that only muzzle-loading and historic handguns are permitted in England, Scotland, and Wales, as well as certain sporting handguns that fall outside the traditional definition of handgun because of their dimensions. This ban does not affect Northern Ireland. While the Cullen Inquiry seemed to lend a helping hand in the regulations of private gun ownership, it also led to some serious accusations against governmental officials. According to officials, evidence of Thomas's previous interactions with the local police was sealed and prevented from publication for a hundred years in order to protect the identities of the children involved in his case. But this secrecy led to accusations of a deeper cover-up that some believe is in an effort to protect the reputation of certain officials. Following a review of the closure order by Lord Advocate Colin Boyd, edited versions of some of the documents were made public in October of 2005. But four files, which contained postmortems, medical records, and profiles on the victims, remained sealed for the next 100 years. 
When the documents were made readily available, they revealed that in 1991, there were complaints made against Thomas Hamilton to the Central Scotland Police that had to be investigated by the Child Protection Unit. There were 10 charges up for consideration against him, including assault, obstructing police, and contravention of the Children and Young Persons Act of 1937. But in the end, no action was ever taken. It seemed that there may just be some truth in some of those local rumors. But we will never know for sure. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to what terrible thing happened on March 14th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe.